It's time for JT the Brick. How we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinionated sports talk host. We have a goal. We have ideas. We know exactly what we want to do here. Just win, baby. The Raiders' schedule is brutal. It's a second-place schedule that's front-loaded heavy and back-loaded heavy. The fans of the Raider Nation sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. I'm talking about the notorious ones, the out-of-control fans, the passionate fans. All of you fans are invited to be a part of the show. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose. And that's it. Use the phone like a weapon. Enjoy everything we do. And please always feel welcome to call in and to tweet and to be a part of the show. Fair enough? And now, here's JT the Brick. All right, let's do this on a Friday. JT here in Vegas. Thanks to all of our listeners all over the globe on that beautiful Raiders mobile app. Everybody who can listen to us thanks a lot for jumping in on a friday as the raiders play early on sunday for those of us in the pacific time zone for those who are going to jacksonville off new orleans have a good trip raider nation travels extremely well it's a good trip to go to florida when they're playing tampa which is rare or playing jacksonville or down in miami which seems to be more frequent it's always great to get to the good weather see fans on the road New Orleans trip stung, stings still, but uh, we move on from that. It was not easy to bury the tape, burn the tape. The coach joins me at the top of next hour. We are on to Jacksonville, and that's not a reach, man. Belichick would say we're on to Cincinnati. It's Josh McDaniels who learned everything under Belichick. I'm cool with that. We're on to Jacksonville, then home to Indianapolis, and there still is one thing that hasn't changed, everybody. This is the part of the schedule where the Raiders are supposed to win. And they're supposed to win big, and they're supposed to win aggressively. When the schedule came out, we talked about that at nauseum. It was front-loaded and back-loaded in this part of the season. If the Raiders would have had a little bit more luck, would have played better, would have stepped up to some challenges, I think the Raiders could really be a 3-4 and team beating Jacksonville to get to 500. Uh, They were 4-0 and lost 4 in a row in their Super Bowl year. I never thought this was a Super Bowl team. Never thought this was a Super Bowl team. But I think it's building by signing their star players to long-term contracts and extension. I think the cornerstone of what this team could be to eventually be a Super Bowl team in the short term, you know, two, three years, you'd like like the Raiders to win the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. But when you're looking at a two and five team, that's a bit of a reach. But as I tweeted out last night as Philadelphia beat the Texans, I was in Allegiant Stadium last year on October 24th, I believe, roughly the same time. When the Raiders put up 30 unanswered on the Eagles and beat the Eagles pretty convincingly, and now the Eagles are the only team 8-0. Franchise best, 8-0. They've never been 8-0. So don't tell me it's hard to turn it around, please. Do not tell me it's hard to turn it around. You could say it's hard for this organization recently to turn it around. You would be accurate. But don't tell me it's hard to turn this around. Cincinnati went to the Super Bowl last year. They were a four-win team and a two-win team the year before. And again, I watched Philadelphia last year, and they got beat at Allegiant Stadium, and they look like the Super Bowl favorite. You can turn it around if things go right. Things have not gone right. As I've said on this broadcast all year long, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong since this team went undefeated in the preseason and had a very, very, very quiet offseason, man. I loved it, actually. It was very quiet. And I gave me the opportunity to do what I like to do, talk about other things other than the Raiders. I, want, I'm, I could do four hours today with Kyrie Irving without a commercial break. I mean, I want to take this guy, Kyrie Irving, and just just get after him on the radio. But this is a Raiders show. 
and I'm going to do mostly Raiders here for two hours. But, man, I'd rather talk about the Kyrie Irving situation. I like to do national radio, big, big topics. And, unfortunately, now the Raiders aren't a national topic at all if you're watching, if you're listening on national radio or national television. But it's our job to give you Raider content here every day. And that's what we're going to do. we got Vic Tafer at the bottom of the hour. He'll join us from Florida. He's from The Athletic. We'll hear what Vic has to say. And also, uh, Coach McDaniels, I hosted that interview yesterday. We'll play that. We either play it on Thursday, but we were buried yesterday. We'll play it at the top of the hour here. All right, let me give you my thoughts on the game. As I told you this early in the week, it's a five-alarm fire. A five-alarm fire. A lot of people said, wow, that was good radio, JT. You had a couple of clients even say that to me. What do you mean by that? It's a five-alarm fire. It's a fire where the entire fire department has to get to the fire quickly and get upstairs and put the fire out now. Now, that's what they have to do because it's two and five. It's not three and four. There's still some winnable games coming up here, but now there's got to be a sense of urgency, a sense of emergency. That's the way I see it, and I'd like that to be a part of this first hour as I'm taking phone calls. I think the sense of urgency has to be there if it's not there. Let me make this point. Heading into your weekend, let me make this point. If there isn't an over-the-top sense of urgency by specific players on that sideline in Jacksonville, I'm talking body language, I'm talking jumping up and down and doing calisthenics, I'm talking patting guys on the butt, I'm talking yelling to the fans. If we don't see that, we got a five-alarm emergency. At a minimum, the sense of urgency should be prevalent from the time this team gets to the stadium, does their warm-ups, gets with the coaches, goes in and gets the coaches' speech, and come out again. They have to be so excited to play this football game, so ready to go, because so many of our listeners are pissed off. They're upset at the lack of body language and the lack of intensity that they're seeing other than Max Crosby and a few other players. So, if you're 80%, you're 90%, try to play in the game. Darren Waller is questionable. Vinny Bonsignor was fantastic today. I've been texting with Vinny this morning on the morning tailgate as he was in Florida. He talked about Darren Waller saying the same things I've been telling you, that if a guy can't go, the trainers and the doctors will tell you. This is not Darren Waller's decision. Darren Waller, and Vinny put it perfectly, is not going, hey, coach, I'm ready to go. No, it doesn't work that way. He is sitting down with doctors and trainers, testing it to see if he's able to go. You would think he'd be ready to go. You would assume he'd be ready to go. But he's a thoroughbred athlete, and he's an athlete that needs all of his explosion, all of his strength and quickness with the hamstrings in order to play. And if not, the hamstring could pop, the hamstring could get further injured, and he'd be done for the year. And I think you all know that. You're all smart fans. You're Raider Nation. You get that. But a lot of people would like to see Waller play through this. And normally by now, you would have been able to get back on the field with hamstrings, even though it's two different legs, and be able to go again. You get treatment, as they call it. You get treatment, you, you work through it, you take baby steps, and then you get close to playing and you play. So we hope that he's able to play because when he doesn't play the other side of the ball, the defense of the other team has, a, has an advantage. And what, and what makes me really upset this year is that there shouldn't be an advantage. Hunter Renfro missed two games for a serious concussion. I mean, he got hit hard on that fumble, scoop and score that they lost. That was a really rough concussion. He's been out. He hasn't been the same since. Darren Waller hasn't been the same, obviously, with his hamstring injury. 
Devontae Adams coming off the worst game of his life at any level, dating back to Pop Warner. But he's healthy, but he was sick last week. And as we d- dug a little bit deep on that, we found out that he had an illness. And again, we're, we're all going through COVID. I don't know about you, and I feel like I have a tickle in my throat or I wake up a little bit warm. Every- oh, COVID. You got COVID? You got COVID. Well, two years ago, I got tested every Wednesday by the Raiders. If I felt good, I was good to go. The test came back negative. You know, COVID now is not something we talk about on the radio. Devontae was cleared to play, but he wasn't at 100%. Mac Holland seems to be. Josh Jacobs has been running hard, but he was shut down in that last game. And Derek Carr has been on the injury report with a back issue that we really don't know much about because Derek's not really talking about it, nor should he have to. If he's not at 100%, we'll find out about it later in the year. We'll find out more about it. So we just got the injury report before the start of the show, and the Jaguars are completely healthy. They're ready to go. They look unbelievable. Now, they don't have a great team. They don't have a roster that's great, but they have some really good players that they've kind of sprinkled around this roster, and they've been a bad team for quite some time, so they've been drafting really high. So they have players. So here's what we just got in when it comes to this injury report on what we're seeing. Devontae's full. That means he practiced full practice. So did Derek Carr. Raiders have four players who are limited today. Divine Diablo. He has a back wrist issue. He's limited. Uh, Neil Farrell, limited. Mac Hollins, heel, limited. And Darren Waller, hamstring, limited. Uh, Game status for Sunday, Diablo questionable, Farrell questionable, and Darren Waller questionable. There's only one player on Jacksonville with a knee, limited, Jamal Agnew, who's questionable. So you're going to see the Jaguars at full strength, everybody. And again, they've had a lot of high draft picks. They went out and got Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. They have Travis Etienne, who looks really good, man. That guy runs upright, big, broad-chested, runs hard, and they failed miserably with Alvin Kamara. So watch out for this guy. He's going to get a heavy dose. And Trevor Lawrence was great in college, but he hasn't worked out well. He's in his second year. He's due for a breakout game sooner or later. But they're not playing very well. They've lost five in a row. They've lost five games in a row, and we know how poor the Raiders have been playing, even though they finished the fourth quarter very strong against the Houston Texans. And you see the Texans last night, they didn't put a scare into Philadelphia, but they were in that game. So let me go first before we hear from you. If you can dial now, I'd appreciate it, because we'll have you on before or after Vic. Heading into the top of the hour, I can get you up here quickly if I see you. If I can feel your passion, I'll get to your phone call. 702-365-9200. And I'd like your key to the game on Friday and what you expect from this team. And if you want to talk about the body language and the energy, please do. Because that's all I'm really caring about. That's all. I, I can't predict the game. I don't know who's going to win the game. But I, I got I to gotta expect guys to be ready to play and bounce back. And a lot of Vegas and the handicappers really think the Raiders are going to bounce back in a big way after getting shut out. If you believe in that type of trend. So here's what I think needs to happen. They got to be explosive early. They've got to use whatever they have in the playbook. And I'm not talking about trick plays because the trick plays haven't worked much well this year. They've been running the ball well. But I believe that this has to be the game where Josh McDaniels goes to Derek Carr and says, here's what we're going to do, Derek. I'm putting the game on you. Everybody in the media, everybody else is saying that you want to go to the first guy I tell you to go to, which I don't know if it's accurate, or you have to look through your progressions better. You don't have a great offensive line, Derek. We know that. But they're okay. They're your teammates. And, Derek, you're going to have to play better. 
So this is probably the microscope game for me for Derek Carr and his future. It really is. He's playing an inferior team on the road that has lost five in a row coming off a London time change trip as they've been out there in Florida. And I think you got to put the game on Derek's back and say, go win the game. And he has all the weapons and toys that you'd love to have on Christmas morning. Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Mac Hollins, depth to depth position. And I'm going to assume Darren Waller's going to play in this game. So I think that the speed of this game getting to the line of scrimmage is going to be critical. I think the Raiders need to run more plays than they're used to, which means they have to play faster and pick up multiple first downs in this game. This has got to be a game where they have like 8 of 13 on third down. Third down shouldn't be a misnomer. It shouldn't be an equation. It shouldn't be a math problem that they can't solve. Now, on third and 14, third and 16, I, have the, I can solve that for you. You ready? Throw it to the marker like Jim Plunkett. Third and 15, throw it 17. Third and 18, throw it 19. The Raiders are owed flags. They're owed flags. Holding, holding on the defense. Five-yard penalty first down. Put the ball in the air and get it to the marker. I don't want to see any check down, Charlie. I don't want to see anything checked down in this game. You can't check down in this game. You're playing the Jaguars. You're not playing the 85 Bears. We're not playing the 2,000 Ravens here. We're playing the Jaguars. Anything goes to the marker on third down. No check downs. No waiting for the pocket to collapse. None of this. Throw the ball. Get it out of your hand. Okay, that's number one. Number two Get Josh going early and work off some play action. We'll see how that goes. If Josh can't get off early because the defense is there, Derek is going to have to empty out that backfield and go 4-5 wide. If Josh is going to be in there, we're going to continue to pound Josh. If it works, it's going to set play action. If it doesn't work, the Jaguar defense is going to know that they stopped Josh Jacobs like New Orleans did, and Derek's going to have to figure it out. Boom. Next in my notes overfeed Devontae Adams. Let's not get Devontae pissed off. He's the star of this team. He, he is the star of this team. He's the number one player on this team along with Max Crosby. Feed Devontae and feed him heavy and go to him. Let him know early in the contest that they are going to go to him in every situation, every down. Slants, comebacks, throw it behind the line of scrimmage, go over the top. Get Devontae going early in this game. He's going to be double teamed. It's going to be tough to do it. Figure it out. You had all week in Sarasota to bond and get Devontae going. Do not piss Devontae off. He's the heart and soul of this team going forward. He's our prized possession in Las Vegas. Okay? He's a superstar. He's super elite. He's the best player at his position. We spoke yesterday about Ray Guy. He was the greatest punter of all time. Well, Devontae's not the greatest receiver of all time. Jerry Rice is. And there's a couple other guys there, but he's in the conversation with Jerry Rice at the same age And when it comes to catches and yards and overall yards per catch. So he's in the conversation. He can't have one reception or three. Heavy dose. Devontae's got to go over 10. Double digits, over 100 yards, and I think multiple touchdowns in this game. But I saved the best for last. We got to figure out who Hunter Renfro is right now. We got to figure out where Hunter Renfro's head is and who he is right now. Get him the ball. 
Get him the ball on third down and third and one and third and two. Move the pocket towards Hunter. Have Hunter run whatever route he wants. Have Derek slide and move his feet and play pitch and catch two yards away with Hunter Renfro. Let Hunter know that he's involved with this team. Don't let Hunter disappear for three quarters. Get Hunter going in this game. He's a pro bowler. Waller and Hunter Renfro aren't going to get a sniff of the Pro Bowl this year. They're not going to get an invitation in the mail. I don't care how much you like to vote for these fake awards. They're not going to get a sniff. But what Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller can do is they can help this team dig out of a massive hole, a massive hole that they're all a part of, the coaches, the players, and they can help the resurrection of the silver and black at a critical point in the season. Okay, so I just gave you what I got there on offense. Let's go to defense. Tackle, tackle, tackle. Someone's got to tackle. And I put the spotlight on Derek Carr. I'm going to put it on Chandler Jones now. If Chandler Jones can't get off on the Jacksonville Jaguar offensive line, we got a big problem here. Okay? He has to have a big game. I don't know what's going on. I called it boxing legs. Someone told me that. And it's real. His legs have not activated yet for his age and the lack of work that he got. Lack of work in the preseason. So he didn't have a preseason because he didn't play. And in the beginning of the year, he really didn't show up. Now he's doing a decent job other than New Orleans of setting the edge. We're going to need him in the running game. As Dave Ziegler pointed out, there is some good to Chandler Jones. Dave Ziegler is a lot smarter than I am about football. There is good about Chandler Jones. He'll set the edge. He'll play some defense against the run. He wasn't brought in to do that. He was brought in to be an assassin going after quarterbacks. He's the type of guy who got to knock a quarterback out of the game. He's got to have an elite superstar performance, and I'm asking him to do it against who? I'm asking him to do it against the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence, who has never really seen anyone over the last decade than the leader of the entire decade in sacks. Bigger than J.J. Watt, bigger than anybody in the league, that's Chandler Jones. So if Chandler Jones can't go hunting and feasting against Trevor Lawrence, an oversized tall guy who's struggling in the passing game, he's not going to do it against Patrick Mahomes, everybody. He's not going to get a chance to do it against Josh Allen in the playoffs. We'll see that there. And then in the secondary, final last one, as I talked to Phil Villapiano as he was on the golf course, Phil made a good point about the linebackers of the linebackers, JT, in his, in his, his New, New Jersey accents. It's who we got, JT, at linebacker. He more concerned about the corners deciding if they want to play physical football or not. Is Patrick Graham going to put these cornerbacks in a one-on-one situation against these guys again Jerry Rice isn't playing in his prime here but they got good receivers are they going to let these uh, corners bump and run and and put their hands on them or are they going to give them eight yards seven yards and play a soft zone every team in the league including Doug Peterson the head coach of the Jaguars knows the the Raiders are extremely soft over the middle of the field and just to run your routes to the middle of the field why make it complicated against the Raiders and go to the sideline why have to toe tap against the Raider defense on the sideline when the middle of the field has been wide open the entire season and no one seems to want to defend it or fix it. So I think you want to put your hands on these receivers and hope that the safeties, Deron Harmon, uh, Merrig, and Jonathan Abram, who got limited snaps next week, have a big game. But as Patrick Graham said, as Coach McDaniel said, and you'll hear this at the top of the hour, 
uh, we have to we have to tackle. The tackling has to be exceptional with Travis at the end, man. If this guy bounces off a defensive tackle and then bounces off the linebacker, he's gone. He's just gone because these receivers, one or two of them run deep routes, and the corners and the safeties are going to be deep. And if Etienne gets the ball underneath, he's going to Alvin Kamara us. Can't come up with a better term than Alvin Kamara us because they didn't guard him last week. So finally, I'm encouraged. I think the Raiders win the game. I think the Raiders have explosive plays. I think the Raiders bond on the road, come back with some momentum. That would be two out of three post-bye week with the only game I'll guarantee, not that anybody cares, the only game I'll guarantee you the whole bleeping year is Indy. That's the one team with Sam Ellinger at quarterback that I think the Raiders at home in Allegiant Stadium winning two out of three off the bye week. They can win that game and then get rolling into Russell Wilson and Geno Smith. Thank God, hallelujah. Coming up next is the dysfunctional Broncos, which no one can figure out. And Geno Smith playing his best football. He's got to come back to earth. That's the monologue brought to you by Golden Entertainment. They own the Strat, Arizona Charlies. 64-plus taverns here as we get ready to roll, man. I mean, I feel like I'm jogging in studio here today with Bobby. Anybody want to call on the phones? Anybody want to tweet? I'll just do it on my own. I've been doing it on my own a lot. Feels like lately, I'll in a couple of great consistent callers, some new callers, but I- I'm go time, man. I'm treating this game like it's a playoff game because I'm not talking playoffs, but I'm treating this game like it has to have the energy of a game like that. So why don't you jump in with me on a Friday? Why don't we have a great weekend? Why don't we drink Modelo with me? I got my bucket of ice cold Modellos. You think I'm crazy? I got my bucket. I put it out in the morning. You know, don't drink during the week. It's a school week. Got the bucket of Modellos on ice from Steve Gomez. One of my best friends, Bobby G's, flying in at 220. We're going to go to the F1 event all weekend here at Caesars. See some F1 action. See the killers. See some music. Go hang out at Virgin Hotels. And uh, I'm going to have a great weekend no matter what happens in the next hour and 40 minutes. But I'm ready to go. I've never been accused of not being ready to go. Let's get going. Go beat Jacksonville. Reward these Raider fans who spent a lot of money in New Orleans, a lot of money, and now they deserve a redemption game where they can look back and say, hey, man, they didn't show up in the New Orleans game the way I wish they did, but they really proved us and came through big in Jacksonville. 702-365-9200. By the end of the hour, I'll tell you all about Kyrie Irving, anti-Semitism, probably the worst apology in sports history. At the level of a fake, bogus, political apology, Kyrie Irving is on the verge of losing his entire career, and he should. He's a bad guy. He doesn't understand anything. He's not smart. And he jumped into the religion pool. Hey, man, some people say don't talk politics. Don't talk religion. Don't offend a religious community. They will never let you forget. Kyrie Irving also, Vic Tafer here at the bottom of the hour as we get rolling. 702-365-9200. At JT The Brick on Facebook and on Twitter. What kind of game is it going to be? I think it's going to be high scoring. I think the Raider offense is going to wake up. Got to wake up. They haven't woken up all year. And they got a lot of offensive weapons. I'll be Captain Obvious. The quarterback, the running back, the tight ends, and the receivers got to have a big day in Duval County.
22 seconds to play in the third. Trevor under center. Play fake. Trevor's going to run to the right. He's going to toss it to Christian Kirk for the touchdown. Touchdown pass from Trevor Lawrence to Christian Kirk. Jaguars Radio on the call. JT back with you. Have a great weekend, everybody. We're just beginning here today on Raider Nation Radio. Also, we have the coach, Josh McDaniels, at the top of the hour. He also spoke earlier today since I spoke to him, but I wanted you to hear our conversation first, and we'll play some of that sound a little bit later on. Vic Tafer is going to join us and check in here in a little bit. As a matter of fact, we got him now as Vic joins us from Florida. And, Vic, we've done this trip before in the past, and does it get overrated as a bonding trip, a bonding trip and all this, or is it just more like you're not going home, you're going to have more focus on football, and let's fix what the mistakes were? How do you see it? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. You mentioned the bonding stuff. Also, getting used to the you know, the mugginess and the humidity, it's definitely hot here, so it can't hurt to have you know, three practices in this kind of weather before you play on Sunday. But I think especially coming off that loss last week and you know how, how ugly it was, I think getting, getting away from everything, kind of just spending time, with your guys, you know, 24-7 and going through meetings and, and kind of just get on the same page, getting to, make, getting to know guys you know that well, the rest of your team. So ideally there's a real sense of team that's gotten stronger and they'll be able to kind of bounce back on, on, on Sunday. Yeah, when you look back at the game, because we've moved on completely to Jacksonville, but the one point about body language and starting fast and not being ready to go, that shouldn't be an issue at all. I mean, every national beat writer picked up on that. You guys wrote about it, podcast about it. Just not being able to fire off the ball in that first quarter was evident to everyone. That shouldn't be a problem going forward. No, you hope not. I mean, there definitely should be you know, always a sense of urgency. I think definitely this team thinks they're better than their record is, and the only way you can do that is kind of you know, is prove it and play, play hard and, and play well. There's definitely enough talent on this team they should be winning some of these games. So I think that's where they're at right now. They're trying to you know, ideally get uh, have some growth both offensively and defensively and, and, and take a next step. Uh, when you see Darren Waller and you're covering him and you got great access to the team here, how are you handling it from a trainer-doctor perspective? You're not talking to them, and you're only getting limited time to see him in practice there and wondering if that hamstring is healing enough where he could be at 100%. Do you feel like that injury has to clear to 100% or he can give it a go even if he's not perfect? It sure seems that way. I think he's kind of itching to go. I think he seems like he's, he wants to give it a try, but they want to make sure that you know, he's had some some uh, setbacks in the past. They want to make sure that he's actually you know ready to go and, and going to be available for a while now. So I think um, he's still limited. He's still questionable for Sunday. I think um, if it was his choice, he'd probably play, but it's not mm-hmm. his choice. So I think we'll see how he feels uh, on Sunday. Uh, looking at the numbers for Hunter Renfro, they're way off, but he was concussed for a couple of games, and that's obvious. Are you surprised that they haven't been able to work him in on some really obvious third downs and some easy routes that he's been exceptional at? at what's been the issue on that side of the ball trying to get Renfro and feed him early so he can pick up some momentum for later in the game? I am surprised. I thought, you know, that obviously his offense would be a lot better as far as getting these guys the ball. But I think you mentioned not being in sync. I think um, he was out for a while. I think the new system definitely he, he kind of took him a while even to get the click on the, on the John Gruden system, kind of getting to know the freedom you have in certain routes, what he can and can't do. I think there's definitely certain rules you have to follow, both as a quarterback and as a receiver, in Josh McDaniel's system. So uh, he's a smart guy. Obviously, has great skills getting open and, and kind of being hard to cover. So at some point, you got to figure that breaks through, and maybe, maybe that, that's on Sunday. Hey, Vic, how big of a deal do you think this system is, knowing how complex Gruden's was? Gruden had a very complex system when everybody talked about verbiage. 
And then when they talk about McDaniel's system, everybody just reverts back to Brady. Well, it was easier because Brady was in charge. He's there at the line of scrimmage. He had Gronk, Randy Moss, Edelman, Amendola, all those guys there. Do you see as you look at tape and you uh, do your podcast and write your features that the issue seems to be the complexities of the system on offense? Yeah, it's a, it's a different. It's a, you know probably different than John's system was. That's part of it. I think also, you know, I know people we talked about a lot about the offensive line early on. People kind of think it's been okay, but to me, it's still a huge issue as far as getting you know the passing game. The timing down. I think they weren't very good last week. They overachieved. I think before last week and last week they didn't give Derek much time. So I think that's also a big part of it of what you can and can't do as far as requiring extra guys to block, requiring guys to chip. You can't really do. All things you want to do if your line's a little better. So I think that's also part of the, the issue this season. Vic Tafer joins us from The Athletic. You know, when we go to the defensive side of the ball, I really believe that the overall plan was to get players in there to understand the complexities of this defense so the defense could do more. And I don't think they're able to do it with the status of the roster, but these are NFL players. They should be able to at least play the scheme that the coach gives them there. And Vic, I'm just surprised the middle of the field has been an issue that I'm, I've been talking about with you on defense for two months. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you have a complex system, which they also do on defense, I think you try and, and I don't want to say dummy it down, make it simpler for guys who may not be ideally suited for that spot. So I think they've done that, but there's always so much you can really simplify things. And, and all of a sudden, the offense has, you know, too easy of a time of it that they know what's going to happen. So I think, like you mentioned, these aren't the ideal guys for the system. These weren't hand-picked guys, mostly for the system. So I think there's mm-hmm. so could be some... some uncomfortability as far as these players go. These guys aren't really um, – all these guys won't be back next year, I think, all these guys in defense especially. So I think you're kind of just kind of uh, – ideally the guys you brought in, like Tyler Jones is making some plays, Max Crosby makes plays, and you kind of have some difference makers which kind of cover for everything else. Uh, Vic, as we wrap it up, what do you expect from Carr in this game when you look at the matchups on their defense? they got some good young edge rushers, the number one pick overall in the draft. They, I, look, I was on the field in Canton. And they were getting after it in that game. And I know it was just a preseason game, but it was an important game for McDaniels to win in front of his family. I like Jacksonville's pressure and what they can do up front. As Josh McDaniels will tell me, they're long. They're very athletic, getting to the ball. Do you think Derek's going to be faster at the line of the scrimmage? The ball's going to be coming out quicker, or is he going to be patient and wait for the deep one? Uh, you would hope he's a little faster. I'm sorry, but I think more so like this week, yes, like a few weeks back, he did a good job of getting out inside the pocket. Making some plays with his feet, kind of buying some time there, and finding guys, you know, on the run. So I think there's enough talent on this offense. The receiver spot, from we mentioned, you know, Adams, Menfro, and McHollis having a big year. So give those guys a chance to make secondary plays. After the first play, kind of reaction plays, if they can buy some time. Uh, very good piece again, and your notes over the years of talking with Ray Guy. For our audience here, tell us about what it was like. I mean, you know the history of this team, and you've interviewed many Hall of Famers. What made Ray Guy different? Yeah, I always enjoy my talks with Ray. Uh, just really a class actor, a real, real character, and a guy who uh, was a football player. He wasn't really a punter. He was a guy who played safety, and you know, in college, uh, was pretty good. Uh, could throw the ball like better than most of the quarterbacks in the Raiders roster. So, always a guy who kind of fit in really well with teammates as far as being a guy I knew could do more than just punt. And then he had you know, the great hang time and the great leg, and was a great, you know, kind of a unique world class punter. A guy who kind of changed the game historically so just a, a great guy and a great story and a, a classic a classic raider nice hey last one you got a lot of feedback and tweets and retweets on uh, your conversation with uh, dave ziegler and you look at all that and you talking to you and the media there but when you 
went back and wrote about it and you sat down with him. What was your takeaway from Ziggler at this point with Josh McDaniels and overall with the organization going forward? Well, my biggest thing was that I think they probably came in this year thinking that, you know, you, you want to try and win this year. They made some moves to win this year, but I think they were looking forward. I think that you wonder why they didn't spend more of the cap space they have. I think they were trying to keep things intact for next year looking forward. So I think, uh, especially in the rest of this year, you'll see a kind of more of a look towards the future. And if they keep losing some games, you'll see more guys, you know, younger guys playing and kind of trying to find these guys can be fits for next year. So I think there's more of a big picture uh, look at than just this season. Thank you, Vic. Enjoy it. Uh, safe travels down to Jacksonville from Sarasota. Always appreciate your time. All right, bud. Take care. All right, Vic Tafer, who is grinding it out there. There's a long trip for the media who's following it. They have families, too, and they have friends. And you, know, you get on the road, it looks great because the hotel that they're at, the Ritz, where I was on the last time they went on this trip before Miami, you want to talk about Mark Davis letting these guys have the ability to succeed. It's the Ritz. It's incredible. And then they practice at IMG. Out here we have Bishop Gorman and the Bishop Gorman facilities. They have IMG, which is just much a much bigger campus there. But the Raiders have everything set up for them. And we'll talk to Josh McDaniels coming up at the top of the hour. They have everything in place for them to succeed. Okay, from a staff perspective, what they have from nutrition, food, training, everything they need to succeed, it's there. And they decided to go out there. You don't want to go backwards and then go all the way out to Jacksonville. And they wish the record was a little bit better, but it sets up nicely for them to be acclimated to the time zone, to be fresh, ready to go, as Vic said, to get used to that humidity and what's going to happen there and be ready to fire away and play fast. We don't want to have to talk about a lack of urgency anymore. If the Raiders don't win, they don't win. But if they play hard and fast and they're doing certain things and it gets better and better and they lose because a better team beat them, that's one thing, but... They can't mess up anything that they're supposed to tackle on early. That's their body and their energy being ready to go early. The scheme being correct, because the scheme I don't think was correct against New Orleans because they never guarded Kamara. So you can never argue that point. You can't say, well, we try. No, no. You didn't guard Kamara. You didn't guard Taysom Hill. The defensive scheme going into that game was nowhere near as good as Dennis Allen's defensive scheme against the Raiders. So they have to fix that against Jacksonville. And then we'll see where, what happens after that. After that, we'll just hope that, you know, Raiders get a break. They get an interception. As we go through some of the numbers here, eight interceptions for Jacksonville. Three of them on obvious tip balls, you know, balls that tipped at the line of scrimmage, pitch and catch like volleyball, just land at you. But they have ball hawks. They have young players that want to jump routes and get it going. Raiders don't have a lot of players that jump routes or nor do want to jump routes. They don't. I mean, Trayvon Merrick is not known for a guy leaving from the safety position, guessing right, and then jumping around. We saw Deron Harmon do it. He did it against Houston and Davis Mills to take it home for a score. That was a classic case of a veteran who saw a play develop in that fourth stretch coming right at him and jumped around. Have you seen Rocky Sin jump around yet? Do you believe that the corners can do that? Or maybe are they just supposed to tackle? Keep guys in front of them. Don't let anybody get behind you tackle when the ball is thrown i don't want to see tackling when the ball is thrown i want to see guys who are good enough to intercept the pass knock it down and make a play and i don't think they have them yet rocky sin i would say so i mean they went big on him they traded he was part of that trade with yannick Ngakwe. he's got to be right you know casey hayward was a hell of a player here for one year and rock seems to be a very good player so i think his future is safe here in las vegas for being a starting cornerback 
But you know they're going to upgrade that position in the offseason. They're definitely going to upgrade the cornerback position. They're going to upgrade the defensive tackle position, but they could do it with the young players on the roster who are getting more reps. The offensive line needs two to three more players, period. I mean, I thought these guys were developing in, and some of them will stick. Dylan Parham, Thayer Mumford will stick, but they got to go out and get more offensive line help. Starters, not depth plays. Starters, I think Dave's going to be able to do that. And then depending on who's going to be back here on offense, uh, there's a lot of good cornerstone offensive players here. And then the great one, Max Crosby on the other side. Max just had his first child, and I think he's highly motivated to get this team on his back and get it going here. We'll take a look at the rest of the NFL schedule coming up, what's happening in the AFC West. Uh, Unique time for the Raiders now. They can't look towards Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, but they can clearly look ahead to some of the big contests they got coming up here. A one against Denver in Denver. The Chargers will be coming home here. Kansas City, way, way at the end of the year. But I think this stretch with Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Denver, and Seattle. You know, the Raiders got to find a way to win three out of four of those games. And the first one is Jacksonville. If Jacksonville clicks and hits, I think some good things can happen right after that. Man, there's a lot of injuries around the league. More injuries in the NBA, actually. But uh, this is crazy. Ian Rappaport reports Colts running back Jonathan Taylor out for this Sunday. Well, he's here the following Sunday, and he's a hell of a player. So his status and his health will have an effect on the Raider game the following week when the Raiders come back home. 702-365-9200 if you want to get in before the top of the hour. And then I have the coach at the top of the hour and a portion of the Raiders roundtable which was damn good this week with Lincoln Kennedy and Eddie Pascal. Man, Lincoln, people in the building who watched it, people that know me said, man, Lincoln, you had him going. Yeah, Lincoln's good. Lincoln's really good. And Jason Horowitz has done a nice job as the voice of the Raiders. So things are cool today on a Friday. Hope they're this cool on Sunday in Jacksonville. Kyrie Irving out top, moves it left, Brown's got it in the corner in front of the cab bench, went to drive, Mobley cut him off, now backs it out to Rand, circling back in the pocket to Brown with a floater, no good, rebound deflected loose, Brown's got it again, out to Irving, left wing, here's a three, it's good for Kyrie, he still hasn't missed. Kyrie Irving, I'll get to that in a second, we want to talk about our partners at Resorts World and everything we're doing with Remy Martin, we have a combination event coming up as Enchant will be at Resorts World. It's an incredible illuminated winter wonderland, a all-world adventure, four million sparkling lights, the opportunity to ice skate, the story theme maze. This is going to be unbelievable here. It is done at a level that no other, no other resort around the world is doing. Enchant is a spectacular annual event produced on the playing fields of mostly major league sports stadiums, and now they're bringing it to Las Vegas at Resorts World. It's called Enchant. It's going to be unbelievable for your kids, for your significant others, especially family. When my family comes out for the holidays, I can't wait for them to see this. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be talking about it a lot here. Bringing Enchant to Resorts World will take this up to another level for the fun holiday experience for all the guests That comes from Scott Sabella, our proud partner and uh, president of Resorts World Las Vegas. So get ready. That starts on November 19th. So Kyrie Irving, 
the big the big storyline here is Kyrie Irving watched a documentary that was based on a lot of complicated issues, but really offended the Jewish community with all the anti-Semitism in the documentary. Kyrie put it out on his social media, his Instagram, where he has millions of followers. It really got people triggered, rightfully so. Now, I didn't watch the entire documentary. I read up on this. Kyrie Irving did it for some type of attention, and he bet wrong. The backlash has been so enormous that he has been suspended by the Nets for five games. Uh, the league didn't do enough quick enough. Uh, Durant wants the Nets to move past this. He's getting backlash right now. And the fallout over this post that's centered on an anti-Semitic book and movie is not an unfortunate situation. It brought out who Kyrie Irving is. Kyrie Irving was suspended by the Nets yesterday, no less than five games, which I think is a joke. It's an apology. And he failed to formally apologize during a news conference earlier in the day. So then Kyrie went to social media and started talking about how the apology is sincere. It's not a sincere apology. It's a politician apology. When a politician gets caught with corruption, something outside their marriage, whatever it is, you've seen it your whole life. They give an insincere apology. You know, I have a really important message on apologizing. I apologize a lot. I mess up in my life all the time. I've apologized my entire life. If you do it quickly and it's very sincerely, everything goes away. We are a very forgiving country. If you're sincere, if you're not sincere about your apology, then no one's going to care, and then it's going to make you look worse. Listen to Kyrie initially when he doubled down on this ugly situation. It seems like Adam Silver wanted to hear the word, I apologize, or in your mind, you said, I didn't mean to cause any harm. Were you apologizing, or you're not apologizing? I didn't mean to cause any harm. I'm not the one that made the documentary. So he just doubled down. He didn't get it at all. So he talk, uh, talks about how great of a person he is. This is a flat earther. Uh, this is a guy that when COVID came about was the only, one of the only guys who wouldn't get vaccinated. And the reason I say that, it was big at the time because no one else who wanted to get vaccinated did get vaccinated. They decided to all do it because they wanted to play basketball. He left his team at one point to have a party for his sister that he brought his dad to. He was AWOL from the team for five days. The league was scared to death of him, only suspended him two games. So here's more of Kyrie trying to explain this nonsense. I don't know how the label becomes justified because you guys ask me the same questions over and over again. But this is not going to turn into a spin around cycle, of questions upon questions. I told you guys how I felt. I respect all walks of life and embrace all walks of life. That's where I sit. I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. That is one of the most ignorant comments I've ever heard in my life. I can't be anti-Semitic if I know where I came from. Sure you can. You can come from the best family in the world and be anti-Semitic or be a racist. You can come from great parents and a great upbringing and, be, and turn out to be a terrible person. This is a really bad guy. And now he's apologizing again. He issued an apology because they went after his money. They went after his money and he was forced to do it. So as the Nets went out and gave him a five-game suspension without pay, a lot of people are thinking today that they're trying to move him after he initially refused to apologize, and now he came back with an apology that no one believes, no one believes is a real apology. So in the Instagram post, Kyrie wrote to all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected from my post, I'm deeply sorry to have caused your pain, and I apologize. I initially reacted out of emotion, 
to being unjustly labeled anti-Semitic instead of focusing on the healing process of my Jewish brothers and sisters that were hurt from the hateful remarks that were made in the documentary. I want to clarify any confusion on where I stand fighting against anti-Semitism by apologizing for posting the documentary without context and factual explanations. So he went on to do this, and now everybody's saying, stop, just go away. And I, I'm one of them. I think that when you, when you say some certain things and you do bad things when it comes to religious anti-Semitism, you're pretty much not going to be forgiven. And most religions forgive, right? My religion is based on forgiveness, but only forgiveness when it's sincere. And I don't think Kyrie Irving is very sincere here. What he's done to this league after he won that championship with Cleveland over the Warriors, I was there. I was up living in the Bay Area or commuting up to the Bay Area during that championship run. And he was a brilliant player to watch. He's still a very gifted player, but he's very ignorant. And he's a guy who looks for attention in different ways. And he's alienated a lot of people. The number one Jewish community population-wise in America is Brooklyn. He plays for the Brooklyn Nets. So I don't think he's going to play for the Brooklyn Nets anymore. I think they're going to try to move him in the next couple of days here if they can. But there's a lot of money on that contract that they're going to have to eat. The NBA is off to a really rough start. Uh, In regards to baseball, I was rooting for Bryce Harper. He's from Vegas here. Philly had him on the ropes. They were up two games to one, and the Astros won two games back-to-back. Let's get to the final call last night as Dusty Baker and the Astros we got the home run. Let's get to the home run last night from Pena, which pretty much was the game winner. Here's the 2-2. Swing and a drive down the left field line. Schwarber back. He's on the warning track. And that is out of here. Jeremy Pena over and out. The Astros lead 2-1. to one. So that's the story there. That's where we're at tonight. And uh, we got an off night. They play on Saturday and Sunday. I'm on the radio all day Sunday for the Raiders and Sunday night for Sirius XM. I hope we have a game seven of the World Series. I picked the Astros in six when it started. I clearly think they're the better team. They are the better team. And the Bryce Harper-led Phillies are going to have to have a comeback of a lifetime. This is a great World Series, everybody. Been fantastic. We had a no-hitter. A no-hitter from the Astros combined. We had the Schwar bombs. Bryce Harper home run. I just don't want those scoundrels, those cheating Astros to win anything, and I think they are going to be able to win. Coming up next, my conversation with Josh McDaniels. Fresh content. We did it yesterday at the crack of dawn in Vegas. He was very kind with his time. We go over what it's going to take to beat the Jaguars on a Friday. Raider Nation Radio. Raider Nation Radio. 